Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. I'm hanging out today in London, and I'm uh, sitting with Henry Mason, who runs Trend Watching, and also the author of the best-selling book Trend Driven Innovation. Henry, it's really it's really great to finally put a face to the byline. Yeah, thanks, Mike. <laughs> it's a pleasure to meet you too. Big big fan of uh, what you've been getting up to for the past few years as well. Uh, like, and unfortunately, the listeners of this podcast didn't have to hear our mutual admiration talk. Uh, pre- <laughs> <laughs> so we can get onto the fun stuff. Uh, so you know, one of the most interesting things when I was flicking through your book was just that. I guess I'd never thought of trends as, as a kind of a, almost a science in itself. Uh, but I mean, really, the premise of this book is that anyone can start to, I guess, dissect and understand the world uh, in these movements. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what you guys have been thinking and how you've sort of codified this now? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, because so, so, so we, uh, we've been publishing trends and, and innovations for a couple of years now, well, for, for over 10 years. And one of the things, you know, especially over the past few years, is, is increasingly, you know, our audience came to us and said, okay, I like the trends, but, you know, what's next, right? How, how do I do this myself? You know, what am I going to do with it? So we started to realize exactly as you say, we needed to codify in a little bit more detail how we did this. And we went out and, and you know, we started speaking to people that came to our events and, you know, been, been subscribing to our, our content. And the more we spoke to them, the more we realized, okay, that, that, that basically, you know, business is about one pretty simple question, right? And that is, what, what are my customers going to want next? Right. Right? If, if you can answer that question, then basically you're going to be okay. <laughs> right? You're going you know, to be successful if you can anticipate what your customers are going to want next. Uh, and the more we spoke to people, the more we realized that we actually have a, a pretty radical way of answering that question. Uh, and, and we've always, and a lot of this was quite intuitive actually to us, we, we've always just illustrated our trends with real world examples of innovations. Because as, as we were talking about earlier, you know, trends for us are about telling stories, right? And, and especially inspiring people to take action themselves. Um, but the, the, the more we drilled into it, and the more we kind of pulled apart this approach, we started to realize that actually there's something incredibly powerful about looking at the innovations of today to find out what your customer needs and wants are going to be tomorrow, right? And, and, and we started to realize that this was a, a pretty radical new approach. And, and so uh, we're really excited to kind of, uh, you know, take this, take this out into the world, basically. And our, you know, if you like the kind of the big idea of the book, right, if, if you want to sum it up in, in just a few words, is that the counterintuitive secret to customer centricity actually lies not in watching customers themselves, but by watching businesses. And I think that, you know, that's an interesting uh, take for people. And it's very accessible. Well, is it because businesses are kind of a filter uh, to process that behavior and turn it into a commercial outcome? Well, I think where we see it happening, right, and, and the reason why, so we are, uh, uh, we're not industry specialists and we're not market specialists. You know, we look across all industries and across all markets. But we started to notice more and more uh, this phenomenon that we've called expectation transfer. Because right, we think central to the idea of trends uh, is the, the, what, what trends are really about right? for us is where, where trends come from 
is trends emerge as innovators address people's basic needs in novel ways. And where, where uh, these single innovations start to become trends is because uh, customers experience something, right? Let's take the, the example, you know, it's a very cliched example, but it's very powerful because everyone knows it, right? Uh, let's look at Uber, right? You, you have that experience of pulling out your cell phone, you know, opening the app and with one button, summoning a taxi to where you are, right? One touch, you know, transportation services. Now, of course, what happens is, is for customers, you know, consumers, that, that experience doesn't just get put in a box marked transportation and kind of siloed and, you know, forgotten about. You then go into another aspect of your life and there's, that, and there's now a kind of point of tension if you can't order something, have that experience with one touch. And so, you know, then you, you start to look across at, let's say, the Amazon dash buttons, right? I'm sure most of your listeners will be familiar, you know, the little tags, the physical tags that you stick on your Nespresso machine, you stick on your bathroom mirror, you stick on your washing machine, and you order detergent, right? Mm. And, and, you know, so for us, if you look at an innovation and you strip it back to what, what need is that serving, and then, and then you think, okay, how can I apply that same thinking to my business? You know, that is a very powerful framework to see the world around you because suddenly it makes, you know, almost every innovation that you see people getting excited about, you can draw that back and you can say, okay, that's servicing this need for convenience in this case. You know, it's servicing the need for entertainment. It's serving the need for connection. It's serving the need to make people look good to their peers, whatever that might be. And so we have this framework of basic needs and wants, basically, right. that we view the world through. And, 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 you know, every time we see an innovation come in, we say, okay, what does that suggest about the future direction of that need? And, and that I think is a, is so a you're really still looking at very much the human condition and experiences but in a way the level of resolution uh, is at the business level uh, because that's closer to an actionable insight exactly and, and of course it also has the, the amazing <laughs> quality of uh, you know again as you as you do so well is is inspiring people you know if you see something actually happen this is not just <laughs> theoretical right you know you can you can walk into a, a you know a hotel chain right if you're sitting down with some people from a hotel brand and say you know think about you know someone getting out of an uber they've rated the driver they haven't had to pay with cash it's come to them how might those same experiences look like in the you know in the hotel experience in the you know. but also I think it's very important for anyone in a big organization that provides validation yeah because and, and also you can say you know people are doing this right this is not you know this is happening mm. and actually sooner or later it's going to happen in your industry so do, do you see this as a kind of ethnography or do you see it as actually very different to the traditional practices of anthropology and focus groups yeah, I, I think yeah, that's a fantastic question. And I think if, you, if we were looking at, if you like, the kind of the research and the insight landscape, you know, where, where, where are people, how are, how are people answering that question today? We said there's this fundamental question in business is what are my customers going to want next? You know, how are people answering that question? And uh, yeah, on the one hand, on the qualitative side, you know, you have the design thinkings, the ethnographic researches, the IDOs, the frogs. And that, that, you know, you get amazing insights from that. Uh, but, but it's expensive, it's hard, right? It's, dif it's difficult to, to get really close to people and elicit, you know, some un unexpressed need and want. Uh, it's very powerful, of course, if you can do it. Uh, 
And it's great, of course, also at, at you know getting really deep into the local context, the specific context. Um, then on the other side, you've got the qualitative side, right? And we all know the last decade has seen, you know, that that's the sexy part of the insight uh, world today, right? Big data, you know, predictive analytics, etc. The quantitative side. The quantitative side, yeah. you know, that that's that's seen massive disruption in the past ten years. Um, and again, we think data it's incredibly useful, but data is is great at validating and optimizing. Mm. You know, it's great if you place 10 small bets, you know now within minutes almost which one's working and which one you pull. But it's not necessarily inductive. It, it doesn't It doesn't tell you what the structure should be. Exactly. And, and we think that there is a, a space between those two approaches. Both have real value. You know, we're not trying to say like, chuck them out. Mm. But we're saying there is a space between those two that in a world, especially a world of more liquid experiences, you know, we're seeing industries breaking down, everything digitizing, right? On a global scale as well, right? Oh. You know, so in this world of, of rapid change, you know, all the cliches, right? You know, hyper competition, abundance, uh, you know, rapid change. In that world, we believe there is a real place for kind of high level, uh, you know, and really the insights that give you the kind of actionable foresight, not about maybe you know, a specific consumer, which is kind of ethnographic research and, and quant, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is very close. But, but you know, what are some of the brave decisions that you should be making? You know, where is, what, what is outside of your frame of reference? You know, so we, we look across industries, across markets. You know, what are the things that you might not have spotted around, around shifts in consumer expectations? Because if you're in the travel industry, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you've heard of Uber and you've used it. But, you know, are you really thinking about joining the dots between Uber and the Amazon Dash buttons? Are you thinking about it in that, in that context? And I think this is particularly important now because things are so global and, and and a 16-year-old in Shanghai is more in common with a 16-year-old in the Middle East than either either of them have with their parents. Mm. Uh, they're part of a global culture, and and behavior and experiences have become viral. Uh, so it's like mirror neurons. You know, when, when you see someone having a better experience of something, you don't want to be the idiot who does things the old way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we, we, we've written a lot, actually, about the collapse of traditional demographics, mm. you know, because I, I would, well, I would only t- uh, challenge you on that, that statement around by saying a 16-year-old in Shanghai can have more in similarities with, with a 16-year-old in, in the Middle East, but actually they can have as many similarities as, as a 60-year-old in South Africa. You know, I would argue that, or we would argue that, you know, that the two demographics left really are, are no longer age and gender and income, but it's much more urban versus rural or tech versus non-tech. You know, are you plugged in? And actually, you know, it, it, that 16-year-old in Shanghai could have more in common with a 60-year-old in, in Shanghai than they could do with a 16-year-old 10 miles away right, or 20 miles away. So are there any segments left? Well, as we said, I always said rural and urban versus, you know, tech and non-tech, and often right. those are correlated, right? Of course, right. you know, you're more likely because, because, you know, urbanization, I think, you know, urban consumers definitely share parallels because you are, you know, you are exposed to diversity, to pace, to, to you know, but, but of course you're also exposed to that in the digital sphere as well. So, you know, I think those are the two. And actually what we're seeing, you know, the, the most interesting Things I think people always ask us when it comes to trends, right? People are obsessed with uh, demographic trends. You know, tell me what's <laughs> happening. Tell me what's happening with you know my, my demographic. You know, wh- whatever that might be, eighteen to thirty-four year old females in you know wherever. 
But we would really argue that the, the, the secret to looking at trends is to look at the trends that aren't yet in your demographic, right? Look at what, what's happening elsewhere. But think about how you can bring those trends back to your, back to your demographic because, and this is a, you know, I'd love to hear if anyone ha- can disagree, right? We would say, show me a powerful consumer trend of the past de- decade, 15 years, that hasn't crossed demographic borders. You know, think back to when peer economy, you know, couch surfing was for broke students who could, you know, needed a place to crash. Now you've got multi-million dollar, you know, Italian villas on the Riviera <laughs> being rented, you know, for thousands of dollars a night on Airbnb. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got, uh, you know, car sharing networks being, you know, used by, you know, all of these things, right? You know, being, being used by people across the spectrum. High-end high end wealth management now being automated. These robo-advisors, yeah. right? But even the iPhone, I mean, the iPhone is a classic example, right, of, you know, you have people across, CEOs are using the same smartphone, you know, as, as the post, you know, in the, the, the intern. Right, you know the, the 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 old certainties around you know who uses what and who purchases what. Again, you know, think about when when Napster was just for you know for, for again people that couldn't afford music it was for pirates, and now you have got Spotify doing a billion streams every day. You know, my you know your, your granddad's using Spotify weekly discover to find new music. You know, increasingly. Uh, and it's, it, of course, it's driven by the digital world, a lot of it. But even in the offline world, you know, as we said, you know, Zipcar is being used by people who, who it's not just because they can't afford a car, car it's because it's more convenient. Yeah. You know, it, it just suits their lifestyle better. Well, one of the ideas in your, your current sort of trend report mm. is this sense that once we, once the rest of the world gets these smartphones, like there's another billion new connected consumers, mm. it's going to lead to some momentous shifts in business models and almost business movements. I think you call this organized mass. Can you, can you take us through that a little bit? Yeah, I can. And, and, and this actually is just a classic example of, you know, where, why, why I, I think what we're doing is so exciting. And, you know, just, just a, a brief glimpse as to, you know, the, the world today, right? So we have uh, representatives in, in Sao Paulo, in Lagos, and in Singapore, right? Covering Latin America, Africa, and, uh, and, and Asia. And, and Asia. And the amount of times, right, they get on a call together and, you know, they're discussing the innovations that they're seeing. And, you know, uh, Lola, based in Lagos, will say, you know, I've just seen this, this really cool service that, you know, creates a kind of virtual marketplace, you know, digitizes, you know, what has historically been a kind of informal economy here in Lagos. And a case here in Singapore will pack up and say, oh my God, we, you know, just got back from Jakarta and exactly the same thing is happening there. And, you know, the, the, the world... Of course, right, there's whole debates around, you know, Thomas Friedman and the world is flat, right? But increasingly, when it comes to innovation, right, and when it comes to, you know, opportunities, there is, we, we passionately believe, right, and we see this on a daily basis, you know, the, the simultaneous invention, right? You know, people always, of course, it's got to be adapted for the local culture, the local context, right, the specific environment, uh, but, you know, to give you an example of a couple of examples of this trend, right, so we keep, we, this trend looks at, as we said, the kind of the formalization of the informal economies, right, that, that we know are, are prevalent in most of the world. And, you know, yeah, in, in San Francisco, right, you had Uber back in 2009. You know, now we've got service launched last year, uh, Jugnu in India, where you can hail auto rickshaws, right? <laughs> it's basically the Uber for, for you know, for, for rickshaws. And again, we see over in 
in Indonesia, in, in Jakarta, ojeks of a form of motorcycle taxis, right? Because no one wants to order a taxi. You're sitting in a traffic jam for three hours, right? So, so people jump on the back of a motorcycle and uh, you've got, so you've got Gojek formalizing, you know, this kind of Uber for motorcycle taxis. And then at the back end of last year, uh, Gojek add one touch kind of request a cleaner, request a masseuse, request a beautician. So they're actually out Ubering Uber in adding lifestyle services, right? Uber, you know, doing but, food. But it was born out of a very local cultural phenomenon. A local cultural phenomenon, exactly. Right, and, and you know, Acacia tells me she's Indonesian, she's based in Singapore, but you know, tells me that because you know, the, the middle class consumer, of course, loves Gojek, the digital version of Ojek, because you know, it, it's safer, right? If you're a woman, you know, you, the, the driver's vetted, you know, you don't need cash, you, you know, you can track, you know, you're not going to get less likely to, to go on a roundabout route, you know. The, the, these innovations are really encouraging to hear because you know, for the last few years, we've been sort of watching this narrative of global technology brands being born out of Silicon Valley and then just steamrolling over everything else. I mean, I remember a time when mm. every country had its own social network yeah, and, and then they all just kind of disappeared. Uh, <laughs> same with auctions and, and yeah. search. I think, I think Russia and China are the only places left that have their own search engines. Yeah. Uh, so, so do you see that these companies will continue uh, to survive like the, and even scale up or is it just a holding strategy for until Uber turns up and buys them? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's a, a tough question, isn't it? If I if I had that if I had that crystal ball, I'd probably be uh, you know in, investing. I mean, well, I, I guess you know rocket internet, right? Are probably the you know one of the biggest uh, challenges to the you know challenges to the Silicon Valley uh, you know narrative, right? Or dominance because you know they explicitly say they they want to be the biggest internet uh, conglomerate essentially outside of China and the US, right? That's I think they're actually literally their mission statement. Yeah, uh, and b because you know that well, they I think saw earlier than most people that you know you could. I mean, they're, they're, they're you know they're a clone factory, right? Arguably, that's the, the big critique of them because they just because they realised actually that there are parallels, right? You know, people whether you're in Vietnam or whether you're in Peru, right? You actually just want to be able to order a, a takeout reliably, transparently, and it's on your just, cell phone. It's just an infrastructure play. It's it's an infrastructure play, exactly. Uh, you know how that will play out is is a very interesting <laughs> uh, question. You know, I. I I mean, we, we, we started watching this a couple of years ago, actually. We had a fascinating trend a couple of years ago around, uh, you know, this kind of, we called it emerging squared, right? Looking for the first, we started to see, and it hasn't kind of, if I'm honest, hasn't kind of taken off as much as perhaps uh, we thought it might do. Because we, we definitely did anticipate, you know, there would be parallels because if you, you know, if, if you are born out of a mobile-only environment and you're used to operating, and I think one of the things that Rocket Internet talk about is, yes, they're, they're, they're an infrastructure, well, they're, they're a digital infrastructure play, but they're also a uh, delivery play, right? Because they, they, they know how to go into marketplaces uh, or markets with no infrastructure, you know? Yeah. The, the last mile is the pain points, which a company coming out of the US, you know, you know just doesn't, doesn't understand, right? Can't, can't process. So... You know, I definitely think there are big opportunities in, you know, the rest of the world, in inverted commas, and that's a horrific kind of, you know, turn of phrase, right? Because it, it, what does that even mean, right? It means not, not the United States. It, exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, clearly there are huge opportunities. And, and again, you know, we, we, we haven't, 
it's hard to kind of unpick who, who, who's winning here, right? But again, another trend we looked at a couple of years ago was, you know, the, the, the guys over, based over in Singapore, you know, started flagging, I think it was kind of 2011, 2012 to us. Like, you seriously need to be watching WeChat, right? There's this whole ecosystem, this chat-based ecosystem. So we wrote a trend looking at, I think we call it Get the Message, right? About how, you know, especially the Asian messaging apps were turning into, you know, whole lifestyle platforms. Wealth management, travel insurance, e-commerce, vending machines. Exactly, right? And we've continued to see this, right? I mean, you know, Shanghai, if you live in Shanghai, you can virtually do your entire civic kind of, you know, responsibilities and, you know, book doctors and, you know, pay your taxes all through WeChat. And, and of course, we've now seen, you know, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg has been, has been, you know, right on this trend, right? And, and now... Building e-commerce into Facebook chat. It, it, that's actually. the direction they're heading. But yeah. even still, and again, I, it's definitely more and more two-way than it used to yeah. be. You know, I, I remember when we first looked at, you know, stickers and the visualization. Which came from Line, right? Came from Line. Everyone was like, oh, it's just for, you know, cutesy kind of, you know, uh, you know millennial <laughs> women in, in Asia. They're the only people who like sending these, you know, these cute stickers. And now suddenly, you know, I bet you if you speak to most people in the US, they would have no, you know, it's just what is on Facebook, right? You know, yeah. and then people aren't necessarily aware of where that's come from, but definitely are the flows of innovation, you know, much more multi-directional than they historically kind of used to be in inverted You know, in, in that context, you guys have got an interesting take in general about some of these uh, disruptive technologies like AI and virtual reality, because you're really looking at the human needs behind them. Yeah, I think that that is if there's one difference between us and you know many of the the other kind of commentators around you know innovation and and, you know obviously technology right is is a large part of what all of us look at right because because it's changing it's the driver of change but we we're a consumer trend firm first and foremost so we start by looking at people right so so you know whenever we see a new technology. We're really interrogating that through our, our, our framework, which is grounded in human needs. Yeah. So, you know, the trend that we're looking at when it comes to virtual reality this year uh, was what we called kind of virtual actualization. So, so one of our, you know, the, the, the big strands of our framework is this trend towards self-improvement, right? You know, the, the most, one of the most fundamental of human aspirations, right? And that could be health, it could be education, it could be you know, wellness, broad, broadly defined, you know, self, self-improvement. So we've been tracking stuff around the quantified self and, you know, the, the, as the years go by, we see new way, new technologies applied to that basic desire. And, you know, to us, some of the most interesting directions for virtual reality are how that is going to drive self-improvement you know and 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 that's holistically defined you know so we've seen you know the the, the greater empathy you know to the the syrian refugee uh, camp videos you know where you can put on the, the oculus rift and, and go to a refugee camp and you know how does that change people's understanding of the societies in which we live in you know there, there is a you know there's kind of brain training and meditation apps you can see through and that for us is a really interesting direction you know? that, that certainly sounds a lot more beneficial than virtual selfies or whatever <laughs> narcissistic technology is probably going to develop around actualization. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, then you can apply this to any technology. You know, we see this again and again. You know, so we, 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 we looked at uh, artificial in- intelligence, you know, and we're starting to see, you know, some of the first kind of consumer-facing innovations coming out of this artificial intelligence. But some of the most interesting ones for us are ones that actually put a 
basic human need back in, in the forefront of it, right? So, you know, consumers don't care about artificial intelligence, right? Just like they didn't care about big data, mm-hmm. right? They care about what it does for you, right? And, and, and like, so, so to give you an example of this, right, to bring it to life, one of the best examples of artificial intelligence we saw uh, came from Stockholm, right? So the, the, the Swedish rail uh, network, they, they hired this mathematician who, who created the, this algorithm to essentially mine all of the data that they had, and it could start to predict uh, potential train delays up to two hours in advance of what they'd ever, you know, they wouldn't actually wait for the system to fail or for it to back up. They, would, they, would, they could actually, you know, give people, commuters, uh, two hours additional notice. Uh, you know, and that that is a pain point for customers, right? If you're talking about innovation solving pain points, <laughs> that's the kind of artificial intelligence that people care about, and machine learning that people care about. Uh, another one that we loved uh, was these these guys in the US uh, that they used to work in in e-commerce, right? And and they said, you know, they became kind of aware. <laughs> All of these sites, right? You know, virtually every every big site on the internet offers you this money back guarantee, right? You find a lower price, you know, we'll give you your money, we'll give you the difference. But uh, you know. Do you, do you actually have the time to go out there, right? And and, and so they wrote this algorithm. And, and Amazon, right? We we we, we found Amazon uh, makes, and I'm going to get the number wrong because I have it quite in front of me. But it's like 80 million price changes every day, or whatever. You know, it, all, all the, the online retailers have algorithms that are going out and like optimizing their prices. You know, constant. It's a, it's a constant, uh, you know, movement. And so what, what these guys did is they created this service, right, that, that you plug it into your, your email account, and, and if you order something from uh, Target or Best Buy or Amazon or Walmart, right, they've got kind of major retailers in the US, it automatically scans your receipts, right, knows what you've bought, knows how much you've paid for it, and in the window where you can file a price match guarantee, if, if, you, if you're eligible, it just goes out, it does it for you, it files that, and it, <laughs> and it, and it takes 25% of the saving, right? You just get this email being like, hey, the, the handbag you bought last month, right? You know, two days before your price match was going to end, here you go, here's 15 bucks back. You know, that is artificial intelligence and machine learning, that an algorithm that, that customers can get excited about that, right? And, and actually, in a weird way, retailers should be happy about that too, because it makes their price adjustment model much more efficient <laughs> with a little bit of pain. With a little bit of pain, right? And, and that is. is you know, that is what we're always trying to interrogate, right? Those are the innovations that interest us. And, and you know, going back to, to what we said at the beginning about, you know, th- this model of trends being about looking at innovations and bringing it back and thinking, okay, so how, you know, what does that mean for my business? You know, especially with this, this concept of expectations, that's what we're always interested in. You know, because I would bet that once you've, once you've heard about that service, right, that automatically files these price claims for you, you know, as a customer, you're kind of, you're looking around and thinking like, where else can that be applied, right? And as a business person, you should be looking around and saying, you know, how can I do something like that for my customers? That is inspirational. Do you think there's a risk that sometimes, especially people that work in quite traditional organisations, are more trend tourists than trend innovators in that they consume this as a mm. as kind of you know, they talk about innovation rather than being innovative. <laughs> and yeah. then once the meeting or the workshop's over, they go back to doing exactly what they were doing before. I, I, yeah, I think that that is a fantastic, you know, and I mean, it, it's a fantastic question for anyone listening. It's a tough question for us to answer, right? Because it is, you know, in the end, that's the big risk, right? Is, is you know, is this nice to consume? Is it interesting? You know, how do you move from 
insight to, to well how to build it into your culture how to build it into your culture and and that is a really really you know tough thing to do and actually you know i always say to to, to, to our clients right, when we're working with people you know we actually have the easy job right we get to ask the questions yeah. you guys have the hard job because you then actually have to you know have to work to, to build this and respond to this but the reality is you know in the environment today you, you do have to do that, right? Because yeah. if you don't, someone else will, right? And, and probably not who you think it is, right? It's, it's probably not going to be necessarily your direct competitor. It'll be someone that comes out of left field and, and redefines what industry you're even in. Because the reality is customers don't care about your internal culture. They don't care about the challenges you have, right? But I, I think, you know, there are ever more opportunities for businesses to... Uh, you know, on the one hand, yes, the world is getting a more a more threatening and you know overwhelming place for businesses. On the other hand, I think you know, customers. Well, a a the cost of innovation, you know, is falling, right? You know, yeah. especially digitally. You know, it's never been easier and cheaper and quicker. But the cost of failing is, is is a lot less. Exactly right, and I and I think you know we again you know this is our own bias. We always are looking at things through the customer's view rather than the business's view. But but I also think you know customers are ever more tolerant of failure. You know beta. You know look at how you know come come you know customers whether it's a pop up a physical pop up or whether it's a labs initiative or whether it's downloading an app. You know I think customers. I'm not saying you know they're, they're, they're tolerant of like substandard initiatives. Of course they're not, right? But I think you know there've never been more opportunities to engage maybe a small subset of your audience to try mm. to bring them on board. You know to work with startups. I mean we've seen this whole boom in the last you know decade of accelerator programs of you know open innovation programs. And I think you know people that you know yes it, it, the world is more competitive and moving faster than ever before. But also the you know the ways in which you you can tackle that hmm. are also like myriad you know that, but, but it also sounds like i mean a starting point for any company trying to change their culture is by first seeing the world through their customers eyes yeah. if, if they're focusing on the customer experience at least having that conversation uh, that takes you a long way towards being more innovative well, I mean, you would you would think so, right? I mean, we you know we think it's of course we're biased, right? We're a consumer trend firm, yeah. but you know, we we you know hope think it's obvious, right? To see the world through your customers' eyes, to know whatever ba- you know what are the basic needs and wants that really resonate with your brand, right? People always say, you know, which which trend should I apply? You know, what are the big what's the big trend for next year? And we always say it depends. You know, it depends on who you are as a business. It depends on where you want to go, right? Where do you want to take your customers? What's your vision? You know, some some to take an industry that you know is is uh, you know being being on the cusp of bits, you know severe disruption, right? The automotive industry, right? Where do you want to go? Are you about sustainability or are you about sharing? Are you about urban? You know, consumers know who your customer is, know what you want to do with them, and then you might figure out which of the trends that are relevant to you, because there's no there's no single answer. Henry, it's been very insightful. It's been great hanging out. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much, Mike. Pleasure. Look forward to keeping in touch. Cheers. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between worlds.